All right, we're so excited. Uh, this is Tracy Van Deventer, and we are It's the Little Things, Little Things First podcast, an educational podcast where we're going to explore some of the great things going on in education and really talk about some of the small things that make a big difference. Um, my name is Tracy Van Deventer, and I have had a chance to be in education in a lot of different settings. So I've been an elementary school teacher, a special ed teacher, a BD teacher, an LD teacher. I worked as a technology coach and as an instructional coach, assistant principal, principal. So I've kind of been around the block a little bit at all different levels, uh, K through 12. Uh, right now, I'm an elementary principal at a turnaround school, and I'm excited about trying to make a difference for kids. Uh, with me is Jim Martin, my partner in this podcast. Jim, introduce yourself. All right. So I'm really happy that I got the opportunity to participate in this. My name is Jim Martin, as Tracy said, and I've been in education for about 21 years. And I've been a teacher. I've been a principal. Right now, I'm an assistant principal at the high school level. I've even had the opportunity to supervise and coach principals. So that's been really great and uh, looking forward to being able to share and learn as part of this podcast process. Very good, Jim. One of the reasons we came up with Little Things First is from an interaction you had uh, at a conference. Can you tell us about that so people know more about where our title came from? Absolutely. So last uh, December, I was able to go to the Learning Forward Conference in Orlando, and I went to a session, and I sat down and was hearing about some really successful principals from across the country. And I remember that a picture of one of those principals flashed up on the screen, and I looked over, and the person that was on the screen was sitting at my table. I didn't know her, but I recognized her. And so her name was Deborah Bolden. I was able to pull her aside afterwards and ask her about some of her successes and what she attributes that to. And she said, I remember this clearly, it's the little things. And so I thought, what a great thing to really explore in depth. Yeah. And Jim did such a great job. Then he stayed in contact with her and invited her to be part of our podcast. And she's our first interview. Uh, we couldn't help ourselves. We asked so many questions. So what ended up happening was our 20 minute interview went longer than we expected. So this, um, this interview is going to be broken up into two chunks for two of our podcast sessions, knowing that everyone's time is valuable. We'll uh, split this up and this will be the first part of our interview today. All right, here we go. All right, here we are. Debbie, it is so nice to talk to you. Thank you so much for your time. And I just have to tell you that you are an inspiration and I haven't even met you. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate that. I don't know how much of an inspiration I am, but uh, I appreciate the comment. It's true. And here's why. When I was talking with Jim, that we were talking about how, how do we help continue to grow our schools and right and the work that our teachers and our students do and he shared with me when he sat at a table with you and and you talked about little things you know that it's the little things that make a difference and and you kind of continue to just grow those little things and eventually they sort of become you know change like uh like i guess snow eventually can become kind of a big avalanche and um and, and i appreciate that because we are actually using that idea, it's the little things, mm -hmm. in our podcast as our title to help us identify what are some of those little things because every school is a little different and every situation is a little different and 
and we appreciated the reminder uh, that you gave us. Can you can you talk to us a little bit about that, the little things, and and what your ideas are about that process you went through in your building? Uh, yes, I actually <clears throat> I am in my third school, uh, following that that sort of the same process. Um, I was at a school in inner city Mobile as an administrator. That was a, a, a very, very, uh, it's a rough area set in the middle of a housing project. And uh, I was brought in, actually I was an assistant principal at the time and I was brought in there to turn the school around. It had already been under state control and it was the lowest performing school in the state at the time. Uh, I was there, and I'm, I'm going to tie all this together, but I was moved um, as principal of another school that was basically out of control. The staff this was out of control. The students were out of control, and the, and the community was out of control, um, and it was a melting pot of housing projects. When one housing project would close, they would move them all into this area. And so there was, the community didn't get along. There was a lot of turf wars. Um, it was very, very difficult. Um, at that school, I was there for seven years. And then uh, due to, and this was in Mobile County. It was, you know, Mobile County is a very large county. At the time, it was the 38th largest in the country. Um, and then due to some family situations, I, uh, moved to a small rural school system and also the school where I am now currently, the Scambia County Middle School, was also one of the lowest performing schools. Um, in fact, they were 4% proficient in math on the state assessment, 4% school-wide. Wow. Wow. Um, so, but it was also needed some leadership and guidance, uh, structure out of control. The staff was, was um, they needed some guidance. But my experience in the 14 years, 15 years of being into schools and trying to change them is every school has its own unique set of problems. Uh, when you go into a school, you know, you need to identify what that unique set of problems is. But one thing most schools have in common that need to be transformed or changed. Um, a lot of that is the overall climate and culture of the building. Mm -hmm. uh, mine, mine varied, however, in every school I have been, and in principal or assistant principal, the behavior and the structure was, out of, it was just basically out of control. Um, so to me, if you're going to set a tone for the new year, for example, if you're going to, if you want to set a tone for a new year and a new school or any school next year, to me, the first thing you do and the first thing I always have done is you have to make a visible change up front. And I know that sounds, well, why would you say that? Because what you do is you have to, like for me, I had to uh, this current school, I had to clean the entire outside of the building. The building is a beautiful, beautiful school plant facility, uh, but it was black. I mean, the bricks were black. You know, it was, you know, it was just not, not taken care of. Um, but you have to make a statement that says it's a new day. 
And it's very important that when people see the school, enter the school, they know when they enter that building, hey, this isn't the same place where I taught last year. This isn't the same place where I attended as a student last year. Um, there has to be a new different feel to to the building and to the area. Um, and you're not going to hear me talk a whole lot about instruction uh, because that does come. But you, you have to have the structure school-wide. Uh, in all of the schools where I have been, uh, the first thing we did was we developed a school-wide discipline plan. And I know that sounds, we even have a county plan, but we had to put it in something a little different in our school. Um, in our school, everyone is held accountable at all times. Our teachers are on, and I know this, you're going to think this sounds, well, we do this anyway. The thing about it is when you put structure in a building, if you have one person not on board, it affects everybody and it affects everything that goes on in your building. So you, you have to have every, every person has to be on board. Um, some things that I have always required, and it does make a big difference, is we greet the students as soon as they enter the building in the morning. I mean, I do bus duty because almost all of our students are bus. We have approximately 600 students in my middle school, and uh, I would guess about 520 are bused in. I greet every student as they enter the door every morning, bar none. If I have a meeting, I usually go late. It doesn't matter because that is so important that they see people who care for them as soon as they come in the door. I take time every single morning. I go down the halls. I go into every classroom, greet the teachers and the students again, and say, hey, you know, let's have a great day today. I do it. I do it, and I go back, and I spend uh, the majority of my day is spent in the classrooms and the halls. I know uh, I was sent a question set, and one of them, one of the questions was, um, what is it, let me find it about, tell us about your schedule. Is that right? Yeah. Okay, it says, tell us about your daily schedule. How do you spend your time? Well, there really is no daily schedule because once the students and the teachers enter that building, they dictate my day. Um, I go to work, we take in at around seven o'clock for breakfast and 7.30 for take-in. I'm there no later than 4.30 in the morning every day because that's when wow. I do my office, my paperwork. Once that bell rings or once duty begins, I do not go back in my office for the remainder of the day. I'm in the halls talking to students. I'm in the classrooms, you know, showing support, asking the students questions in the classroom. Hey, what are you learning? What are you doing? And the teachers at first, honestly, they kind of felt that it was a, uh, their, the administrators are coming in as I got you, but it's not that at all. It's what can we do to support you? You know, when we're in the classroom, what do we see? What kind of professional development do we see that we need to provide this specific particular teacher because we target our professional development is very targeted in our building but it's because we know our staff we know our students 
You know, I've been there a year and a half and I can call almost every student by name. And I just think it's very important. It's very important that during all transitions, your staff is visible. My staff are required to stand at their door during when the students enter and during every transition when those bells ring from class to class. If they don't, you know, then I'll say something to them. Uh, as far as classroom rules and procedures, we sit down during the summer and whatever goes in one sixth grade classroom, it goes in all of them. For example, you walk in, where do you put your backpacks? What do you pull out of your backpacks? Because you're not gonna go in your backpack again. You know, just, just things like that. But I, I'm gonna tell you it's hard because people get tired, your staff gets tired, very tired during the year, and you as a leader, you have to make sure that no matter how tired you are, you know, you have to stay on top of everybody. And it's not easy. It's very, very, very difficult to do that. Um, yeah. I send out every day, um, I have this thing, uh, a sheet called the daily reminders. Well, you know, I, I thought about emailing it out to my teachers. Well, you know what happens when you do that? Some of them say I didn't read my email this morning. Mm -hmm. So right. they do, you know, because they're, they're human beings. They're not going to always just check their email. But what I do is I have it sitting by the time clock every day. And whatever's on those daily reminders, a lot of it has to do with, hey, don't forget, if you have morning duty, you must be at your, you know, your spot. You must be standing at your door during the transition time, you know. Plus, it's announcements that we don't have to get on intercom and make. Now, we are very rarely on our intercom system at our school because those announcements to the teachers are on those reminders that sit by their time clock every day. Um, but it is the little things, and I, and, and I think it's very, very important that relationships are built with students, um, the teachers and the administrators it's very important that we build the relationships with our students. Um, our students in our school, we are 95% uh, poverty at my school. My previous two schools, one of them was 99 and the other was 98. Uh, so wow. we were very high poverty schools. But you know, the children have to know that you care about them as people and as individuals and not just that you're there to teach them as a student. Um, I think that is that is so key that the teachers show they care about the students because you know I think if, if when students know you care about them they're they're going to do they're going to work for you they're going to do um, if right. they think you know I've had students come to me before uh, not in my previous school but they'll say I'll say why aren't you working in you know why aren't you working in your teacher's class why should I work my teacher doesn't care about me at all. I've actually had a student say that to me. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's key. I think it's very important that you develop relationships with your students, that as administrators, you model what you expect. And you have to model it all the time. You can't slack off. Uh, you can't let little things go. And I, and I can give you an example. I can... I can be on duty in the mornings and I will see a teacher and 
in our district, our children, we, we are all, all of our kids were in a uniform district. I don't know if you are or not, but all of our students were uniform. They're not allowed to pull their hood up. They're on their hoodie up over their head on campus for, for, you know, there's, there's reasons for that, for safety, number one. Um, I can tell a student to pull their hood off, but if I see the, a student with their hood on walk by a teacher on duty and the teacher on duty doesn't say anything, I'm going to go to that teacher and I'm going to say, did you see the student walk by you with their hood up? Well, mm -hmm. yes. Uh, well, you know, your job is to, the student is not allowed to wear the hoodie. and Sometimes that sounds trivial, but it's really not because it sends a message to the students that if I, I can walk by these teachers and they're not going to say anything to me, you know, and then that message gets out and then it spreads. So you, you really, you know, I call it and I know uh, this is just a term I, somebody asked me one time, how do you do it? And I said, well, to me, I call it, it's a relentless pursuit of excellence. You know, you, you, you have to pursue excellence every day, every minute of every day and every day of every week, every week throughout the entire year. And you cannot let up because if you let up, it very, very quickly becomes out of control again. Does that make sense? Right. Yes, yeah. it does. Hey, Debbie, you told me a story at Learning Forward, which I don't know if you'll even remember, but you talked about, I think it was at a former school where um, there were reports of some uh, garbage that was being left in uh, neighbors' yards. And uh, do you remember that story and what you did in response to that? Because I think it's a good example of some of the uh, steps that you've taken. Left. Can you, I mean, I'm not sure I've had so much happen, actually. I can't remember. <laughs> well, <laughs> We really have about, a lot of have. You talked about walking the students home um, after school to make sure oh. that that issue was addressed and to really show solidarity with the community, which I thought was really powerful. Okay, when I this was when um, this was when I was at the school, the one inner city mobile. The state had already taken the school over, set in the middle of what they called a closed neighborhood. It's called Maysville and Mobile, um, and when I went to that school, that school, Mobile County, took some very bold steps and they completely transformed that school. They got rid of the entire teaching staff and they brought on two administrators, the principal. And at the time, I was an assistant principal there. They brought us on and we hired the entire staff to come into that school. An interesting part is the school was 100% African-American. However, it was very, very difficult for us to hire African-American teachers. The whole area was an African-American, really, really, it was high, the highest crime rate in the city, the highest murder rate in the city. And we couldn't bring African-American teachers there because they didn't want to go into that neighborhood. Hmm. So the majority of our staff was at the time it was all white um but our children walked across a may like a major thoroughfare uh from the housing project over to the school and the school set on like just a little city block but they were we realized that they were 
breaking, honestly, they were breaking out the neighbor's windows. They were breaking out their car windshields. I had one student on the way to school one day um, put this lady's dog eye out. Um, just some major, major issues. The children were out of control. They were robbing the stores blind, so they were not allowed to go in any of the stores. I mean, it was just, you know, it was just ridiculous. So we decided uh, that, and it was a half mile to, to the crossway where they were crossing the road. So um, we organized and I put some teachers on duty. And so we walked those students from our school all the way to their housing project every day. You and um, all the teachers. Uh, yes, there was a group of us. Now, not all the teachers, because some of our students, you know, rode the vans and uh -huh. that. But there was probably, I would say, 14 of us on duty. And at the, at the time, the school was around 500 students. And my guess is about 400 of them came from that that housing uh, complex uh -huh. uh, over there, the, um, the housing project. But we did. Every day, rain, shine, it did not matter. Um, but we did. We walked them across, and the community, you know, at first they first they resented us being there. But once they realized that their children were, you know, we were going to take care of their children, and they were our interest. We, you know, we were going to make sure they were safe. We were going to educate them. They would. They started like when we walked by, they would give us bottled water. I mean, it just came to be uh like a tradition in that area and in that community you know and it actually basically turns a lot of attitudes around the, in that community because honestly they really resented us to begin with um but then it just it changed it made a huge difference but he's right that is one thing we did that made a huge difference mm -hmm. in that school and in that community was just simply now was it easy to start with because did they want adult supervision going to their homes no they did not want adult supervision but then it was a time for us as we were walking with them it was a time for us to build relationships with those students yeah just get to know them and yeah. where they live and you're visiting talk to them about space mm -hmm. that's exactly right right you know and the thing is is we would and it gave us a chance you know because there were some terrible things that happened in that area you know we would talk to them about being safe about not being around you know the people who are dealing drugs um and it was it, it was so ingrained in them there was a and this is something that is just still amazing to me there was a lady that sat on a corner and and where they crossed the street at times and she sold candy apples but you know, the candy apples were around $30 a piece mm -hmm. because there were drugs in them. Mm -hmm. Wow. And, um, you know, it was just, and it was like, don't go to the, and they would call, hey, there's the candy lady. Don't go to the candy lady. You don't need to go to the candy lady. You know, go home. So that was the first part of our interview from Debbie Bolden. And, um, you know, Tracy, what really, uh, struck me from meeting Debbie Bolden in Orlando is how much she did not want to be recognized. So her face appeared on the screen yeah. and she almost jumped under the table. Um, <laughs> just, so it's, it made me think, you know, maybe the key to being a successful principal is not having an ego. 
You have to be kind of shy. Or, my way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and just on the on this call, she was so willing to tell us everything and wasn't holding back. And and what incredible work. So, Jim, I, I got to tell you, I don't know if I'm going to be able to show up at school at 4:30 in the morning. Right, right. I mean, that is really early, but it reminds me of a professor I had in college. He said um, that. Uh, there was a philosophy of leadership that, you know, you shouldn't touch a paper on your desk. Yeah. Hey, when kids and teachers are there, I never have been able to do it. Yeah. You know, I, I actually do that, but I don't know that that's always in my best interest. I love being with the kids. I love being with the teachers. I love being out and checking on it, you know, everyone and doing observations. However, I fall behind on my email. I fall behind on some of that paperwork. So I've got to find a balance somehow uh, and I don't mind, I get up at 4.30, but I'm not going to school at 4.30. I'm doing some reading. I might do some email at home, you know, other projects. So uh, I, I think everyone's going to have to come up with a way to find that that balance. Um, that's, a, that's a tough line to hold, not doing any paperwork while kids are on campus. Right. And I agree that um, that there are key moments during the day when we need to be visible as administrators. I think when she talks about greeting students as they get off the bus or being there when they walk into the building, yeah. Yeah. being in the classrooms and being able to hear what they're learning. And I wonder if, you know, there again can be a balance of finding those key moments to be yeah. visible, consistently visible every single day. Yeah, and, and, and also just at the very end there, she's walking every day with staff to the kids' homes, and what an impact that is, what a great way to build relationships. Um, so she's not doing her email either at that point, right? She's, she's trying to make sure that they stay away from the candy lady and uh, don't go buy that $30 candy apple. Right. Kudos, kudos to her and her staff for really, truly changing that community around. Right, right. Uh, this reminds me of a home visit initiative we did at one of my schools and um, everybody was sort of reluctant to engage in the home visits because they really felt like, well, teachers felt like, you know, they weren't going to be wanted at homes. And um, we really found though that when we, we asked permission that parents were more than willing to let us come to their homes and more than willing to share their hopes and dreams for their kids. And so it really was a lot different than what we anticipated. And, you know, I, so I guess my experience is a little bit different than Debbie's in, in that she sort of described community mm -hmm. that wasn't super willing to embrace them being in it. Yeah. Yeah. Not at first, but then they started passing out water bottles and became part of a routine of the day is to see the kids going by with the teachers. So um, I, I believe that that community connection is important if we're going to do some important work with our, with our schools, with our, you know, with our kids, for sure. Absolutely. Well, um, I'm excited to hear the next part of her interview, and um, I think she's got some more interesting things to share. We hope you'll come back next week. We'll put the next part of our interview with Debbie Bolden, and um, we'll get that out there to you and we, we uh, look forward to having you back. Very good. Bye-bye for now. Yeah.